Hey guys, John here. I actually have Christopher Minori. Um, he's actually the writer of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, play. And we're going to be reviewing Dr. Sleep. If you don't remember him, he was actually my guest for when we did The Shining last year. We didn't like The Shining so much, but this one is definitely an improvement from Steve, uh, Stephen King's adaptation of Dr. Sleep. With that being said, let's go on ahead and get on with the Hey, Chris. How you been doing, man? Hey, hey. Uh, God, I love that opening music you got. The the opening music to my show sucks, so <laughs> yours is so much better. <laughs> Thank you. I do appreciate that. But don't forget, you also die You die on every game, and you suck at gaming, I, so it actually goes I, in good with your theme. I so I do, right. <laughs> the music sucks, and so do I. Um, yeah, so, I'm doing good, man. Right. Um, uh, just to throw this out here, it's Texas Chainsaw Musical, and um, uh, it's doing good. We don't have any new shows coming up, but hopefully soon. And uh, I got a new play coming out, uh, premiering in uh, uh, September, and new book I'm working on. So good stuff. Awesome. I'm glad to see that you're keeping busy during the, these times and everything. So that's always great. So, but further ado, let's go ahead. Let's dive into this thing, man, because here's the thing. You and I both didn't like the very first Shining. We shit all over it. Yeah, uh, I, I'd say not liking it is uh, very kind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but if I have to say this, though, because Stephen King didn't like that adaptation of the very first Shining movie. But I can tell you this. I guarantee you that he likes this version over what we had with the Stanley Kubrick movie. But yeah, what I like Yeah. And just to give some people some context on what this film's about, I'm just going to go on ahead and mention this. Yes, it is the sequel to The Shining. It takes place with Dan Torrance. He's still traumatized by the stuff that happened in the 1980s over at the Overlook Hotel, and he is guided by the ghost of Dick Harloran to capture the ghost of the Overlook and Lock Boxes. So that's just a little bit of a synopsis of what the film's actually about and what it entails. But here's the thing. This movie didn't do so well at the box office. As a matter of fact, I went to the theater to see this. And it open. It has a budget between forty five million and fifty five million, and the box office was at seventy two point three million. Is what it made. So it barely made its money back, which is sad because it came out at a at a bad time, anyways. Because of the fact that it came out during uh, not veterans, I think it was a veterans movie or whatever that came that opened up the same day on November midway, 8th. midway. Yeah, midway. Uh, it was the one that beat it. Yeah. But I have to say this: I love the slow build to this movie. The slow build is exactly what it needed. And I like how at the very beginning, you actually see Rose the Hat, and she's picking up on this girl. And it has this, to be honest with you, it has like a Stephen King's It kind of flavor to it, because all of a sudden you see Rose the Hat. She's friend over-friendly to this girl, and you're not sure where it's going to go. And then you see, I like how the camera angle all of a sudden just puts all those other characters that follow Rose the Hat, and it just gives you that little sliding effect of moving those characters forward. And I like how they did that. And you're just horrified for the, for the little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like, first of all, I would, I would say this is not actually a horror movie, right? I would almost consider it more of a drama or suspense film, right? There's not a lot of like, there is a little bit, but not a lot of straight out horror. Um, but what I love is that it's more of the psychological. Back, they 
kill a couple kids in this movie and painfully, right? That kid with the baseball, uh, whoo, they, I mean, they stab him to create more pain to make that, the steam more, more, uh, powerful. But yeah, it's a movie that doesn't hold back and, and that's great. I mean, it's, it's hard to do. They don't, you know, killing children in films usually <laughs> doesn't go over too well. No, most definitely doesn't. And that's another thing too. I would actually put this as like psychological horror or psychological yeah, thriller yeah. than anything. And th- like I said, I also like the opening when you see Dick and Danny talking back and forth and he's still having the visions of that woman that was uh, locked inside the hotel room. Yeah. And he's uh, telling Dick. Room 237. Yeah, in room 237, he's still fo- she's still following him, even though he's not in the Overlook, but his own demons is actually following him because of yeah. the things that happened in the Overlook. And yeah. I liked how Dick is like, look, either you're going to have to go ahead and take this thing down or she's going to take you down, basically. So therefore, what I want you to do is I want you to look at this box and I want you to remember the shape of it. I want you to remember the inside of the box. I want you to remember it from front to back because this is something that's going to save your life. And he yeah. puts all these ghosts into in his head in this box, and it's tucked away in his head. I love how they played that off. That was really good writing. Of course, it's also in the book as well for Doctor Sleep in the very first chapter. And then you also see whenever he's actually facing that uh, ghost, and he shuts the door because he used to just pee in the sink, and then he winds up yeah. uh, taking down the ghost and then goes into 2011 where, where he's actually an adult mm-hmm. and you can, and you can definitely tell he's actually picking up his father's habits. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he is a drunk as well. He's violent when he's drunk, right? Um, he beats the hell out of that guy with a cue ball and, um, uh, he's, he's not a nice guy, right? He's, he's, he steals the money from uh, that one lady he has a one-night stand with. Uh, but he does put the money back. Kid. Yeah. I don't think he does, does he? Yeah, I think I he think actually he does. does because... put it back. Oh, okay. Because I remember yeah. Dick saying, put it back. Um, right. He does say that, but I I don't think he does. Um, okay. I believe he, he takes it with him. And... Um, uh, it's something that haunts him, right? Later on, he has a vision of the mother and the baby in in his bed, you know, saying basically, um, they never found us. You left us this way and they never found us. So, yeah, he wasn't a nice guy when he was drunk. And that was- last incident is what made him actually join AA. Exactly. And, you know, I would have to say this, though, when you look at this movie it's not because but but jack he was drinking basically just to drink mm-hmm. there was no really basics into, into why he was drinking other than the fact that alcoholism followed him as a young kid and followed him to adulthood especially whenever it goes into him basically witnessing his father beating the hell out of his mom and everything with the cane so that was in the very in the book that's not in the movie but that's why Jack was drinking. And this one, it's just Danny trying to get rid of these ghosts, that's these demons that's inside of him, trying to erase things that happened from the Overlook. And it's just taken over his life to the point where he's drinking, he's doing cocaine, he's uh, stealing, things like that. So yeah. 
you know, it's definitely on a different level than what uh, Jack Torrance was go- going through. Yeah, well, he's trying to drink his demons, whereas Jack was really creating his demons with his, his drink. And, and the thing about Jack's drinking is, you know, he quit before he goes to the Overlook. And then he goes to the Overlook, and they really ply him with that, the ghosts, with the, uh, with, with booze and so you know you have to wonder i mean they're ghosts right a lot of what happens in the overlook isn't real right it's mind games and so is he a dry drunk right he is he not really drunk because there's not really booze you know it's it's who he is whereas for for uh, uh danny it's it's uh it's something he uses to to uh, push down these things to forget about these things and and you know once he once he gives up the booze and he's really able to handle it more right exactly it's basically an escapism for him to forget about things and then Danny winds up going over into this little small town and you know i like how his char- he has a great character arc I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, he does. This, this to me, should have been the story arc of Jack. Mm-hmm. When you Just a little small introduction into Jack and then getting into that kind of thing. Because I, mm-hmm. because I have to agree with Stephen King with the very first Shining movie. It was like starting up a car engine and it just went to 90 to nothing. And that's all we yeah. got. There was yeah. nothing there before Jack was actually crazy. Jack was crazy no. bef- before the Overlook. Yeah, that was and, the problem with hiring uh, Jack Nicholson, wasn't it? Because they hired him because he could play a crazy guy. Um, but and that was great once you had, if you had gotten to that part, and then he started acting crazy. But um, they never showed, and we've discussed this before. They never showed Jack sober trying to fight his demons. Right? There was right. no character arc. It was just a straight line. Exactly. Just a straight and narrow line of this is who he is, and that's it. He's an alcoholic. He's not fighting anything. He's already conquered, supposedly, his conquered his demons with the drinking. Yeah. And to me, you need to show the audience that so that way they can share Jack on because of the fact that he conquered those things. But they do it, and so this is actually like a redemption story to The Shining in a sense because of the fact that whatever Kubrick didn't do, this handled things on a different playing field because of the fact that, yeah, yes, really you have... Good. You have nostalgia and everything, but here's the thing. With this director, he made it to where it didn't rely on just the fact that it's a Shining sequel. He allowed the movie to be balanced out and let it be a Dr. Sleep movie rather than just keep on slapping us with the same things over and over again from the Overlook and stuff. So that's something I like. I like the fact that he was able to carry it on its own. Yeah, he really um, he pulled the best parts of the movie, right? He pulled the most iconic stuff, the uh, uh, the chopped out uh, door, right? Um, from when when Nicholson was like, "Oh, here's Johnny," and um, the maze, and the elevator, the two little girls, um, uh, and of course, room two thirty seven. I mean, he really grabbed the best parts and. It's interesting, he ended this movie the way the original novel, The Shining, ended, mm-hmm. right? The the, exactly. the overlook exploding because of the boiler. And I... that always annoyed me in, in the movie is 
the overlook doesn't die, right? It's just right. Uh, Jack Nicholson freezes and and the uh, the overlook continues on and it doesn't. It's the overlook is the bad guy in that movie and he never gives it its ending. And you always oh. need in a movie how does the bad guy die? How does the bad guy get get uh get even, right? How do people get even with the bad guy and and in in Kubrick's The Shining, it just doesn't happen. And you know, I, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> no, no, Unpopular no. opinion. You know where I'm going. Right. Kubrick is a shitty director. I don't care <laughs> what anybody says. Kubrick is a shitty director. He spends too much time. <laughs> Here I go. Well, I'm on my <laughs> rant, baby. He spends too much time on stuff that doesn't matter. And not enough time on the stuff that does matter. And yeah, he's got a couple good movies, but when you do enough movies, you know, it's like a broken clock, right? It's right, right. twice a day. Well, another thing, though, too, is I'm glad that you mentioned the boiler and stuff like that because of the fact that that also happens in this movie and Danny winds up sacrificing himself to save Abra, which is something that I really liked. And in the book, Jack actually saves, sacrifices himself to save Danny. And you didn't have that redeemable quality. And then you have Abra, who's trying to tell these ghosts to leave Danny alone, just as, like, Danny told, uh, was talking to the ghost to leave Jack alone in The Shining. So you have a redemption story built up with that. And also, too, you have Danny that is trying to fight this ghost. And it's the same thing. It's the same uh, way of that it was described in the Shining novel where Danny has the axe, he's about to kill, uh, well, Jack is about to kill Danny with the axe, and then Danny winds up trying to talk Jack down. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Abra does. And I love that. I was geeking out in the theater when I saw this. I said, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing over there. I like what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm eating this up. I love this movie so much. And then when you see him going into Danny going into the small town and then you're introduced into these other new characters and Danny's entering these people's lives, they don't know him from Adam or anything like that. He just got off a great out and they're trying to put their trust in him and he's trying to get sobered up. And so, you know, you want, he winds up going to this hotel to actually get uh, strained out. But the girl said, look, we'll let you stay here. And also too, the U S had a guy who vouched for him. They didn't know him. And he's like, look, I'm going to vouch for you. You'll have a place to stay. You owe, uh, I think it was like, what, 300 a week or something like that that he had to pay. And then we wind up seeing that being played out. And then at the same time, then you see Abra's story coming together. Because then you wind up finding out that she has a shine just like Danny does, but it's 10 times powerful than what Danny's shine is. I would suggest it's even deeper than that, right? He's not trying to save Abra. At that point, she's no. been saved, right? I mean, he's trying to save her throughout the movie, but by the point that um, he's he's sitting in front it's of her. It's all about self at the very beginning. He's not trying to save her. He's trying to kill his demons, right? He's taking care of what has haunted him his entire life. It's all about what he needs to destroy, and when it when it explodes it's him um uh sacrificing himself to kill the ghosts of the overlook and um and i love that i i really love that i i think it's uh so poignant it is and you know even though he told dick that he didn't want to teach anybody and i don't think at that point when he was trying to get sober 
He wasn't going to teach Abra. If she just randomly showed up, hey, Dan, I have this shine, he wouldn't have taught her. Yeah. But since he got sobered up and has a right mind of thinking now, mm-hmm. he he wants to help her because he knows yeah. how much danger she's actually in. And she doesn't even know that she's in any danger at all of the things that she's done to Rose the Hat. But you also have this other character, though, too, that uh, has the shine that can make people sleep and things like that, too. And they pick her up over at the movie theater. And it's the crow that picks her up. Not to get mixed up with Brandon Lee's the crow, but yeah. the crow winds up picking <laughs> her up. And right. and so, anyways, uh, they said, well, do you want to live forever? She goes, well, what do you mean? So then, of course, that's when they start feeding her the shine. But in order for them to feed her the shine, they she has to die and then resurrect to come back. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, I think, um, oh, what was I going to say here? I think uh, it's it's interesting because at one point, Rose the Hat says, you're just like me. You're so much like me. And I think she's right in a lot of ways, right? Abra is very cocky, right? Mm-hmm. She, you know, that one scene, she traps Rose. She pulls Rose in to... Um, uh, to trap her, right? Uh, and she does that a few times through the movie. So she's not just some innocent kid or some some scared kid, some victim. I mean, sure, she's a victim because they're trying to get her, but she's she's taking things into her own hand. And I think that's really interesting. I think Rose uh, had a point. Um, she wasn't going to kill other other kids, you know, to get their steam. But on the other hand, she had no problem killing uh, the, uh, what do they call them? The square, the knot, the knot. Not. She had no problem killing the knot. In fact, not only that, but she tells Crow, I hope this hurts. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. She says that she hopes that it hurts. And then another thing I like, too, that Abra does to her, you said how she traps her. I like how she uses the wall of illusions because... You know, she ends up designing this index card system and this filing system in her head to pull Rose in. And Rose is going through, trying to go through the files and everything. And then as she's trying to go into, uh, as Rose is going into Abra's head, Abra is going into uh, Rose's head. And I love that scenario where Rose's head is actually, her walls are broken down because she's so concerned about finding out things about Abra. That she has no idea that Abra's already in her head. And I like yeah. how she's going through these things of, okay, let's see what else is in here. And she just starts dabbling through the index cards and everything. So I liked how they did that. And Rose is even creeped out by it, even at the supermarket, which is also another creepy thing that she, uh, that Abra does as well. You have um, in the milk carton area, Rose is trying to get a thing of milk. And then all of a sudden, the glass breaks and knocks Rose off her ass. Right. And then, uh, then of course, that, ends in, that other thing that winds up happening that we're talking about now, and then she winds up shutting the filing cabinet door on Rose's uh, hands. Yeah. She tears that bitch up. And, but what else stood out for you as far as this being like the perfect sequel? Because I like the rehab stuff that Dan had to go through. So, you know, it was very interesting to me because, first of all, it, it was 
very similar to the book, right? And the book was great. I mean, I, I, I loved it. Um, you know, I've said before, The Shining is my one of my very favorite novels. I think it's probably the greatest um, American ghost story, even more so than than uh, Christmas Carol, right? I, I, I think it's phenomenal and um, scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Um, you know, what, what stood out to me was how instead of just filming the novel, they turned it into a sequel to Kubrick's Shining, right? I thought that was very interesting. And at first I was really angry because, of course, I hate that movie. But, but then I thought, boy, he really does a good job of it and sewing everything up at the end and, you know, having, um, having uh, Jack Torrance be Lloyd, right, the bartender, mm-hmm. and, and showing the girls, showing room 237. The carpeting is the same, and the music. You know, the movie starts with the, the music from The Shining, right? So right. the first thing you see, it's black, and, and you've got the music from The Shining, very, very iconic music. And it's just, gosh, I think uh, the director's name... I don't remember his first oh. name. It might be Mike, but his last name is Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah, Mike yeah, Flanagan. And Mike Flanagan is Mike. So, I mean, he just, wow, what a, a way to take the book and this shitty movie. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, it is all. Yes, he really does. I just, he's a great director. I, I hope we see a lot more from him. You know, he actually. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't do very well in theaters. Critics loved it, but it didn't do very well in theaters. So I don't know if this will ever happen. But he had actually discussed two sequels. One was a prequel called Halloran, which I want to see so bad. I love Dick Halloran. And the other was about Abra when she grew older, which I don't know if I'm as excited about that. But King loved both of the ideas. So King yeah, was so very old- behind this movie, uh, not so much with Kubrick Shining, which no, like I said, he used the metaphor of of an engine that's been turned over and just keeps going, and it doesn't ha- have a way of refilling itself whenever it's done running or something like that. I'm just paraphrasing because I remember reading up on it when I was re- when I was watching uh, The Shining when you and I were doing that review, mm-hmm. but you know. He, I am actually more interested in a Dick um, mm-hmm. Allen story mm-hmm. than I am in Abra. Don't get me wrong. I love Abra. But you can do so much with Dick's story and how he grew, especially that backstory he tells uh, Doc yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that is perfect for a movie adaptation or, a, or, if, yeah. Steve, or if Stephen King himself wants to go on ahead and write a book on it. Yeah. But well, there's more write- to it. Um, right. You know, uh, Dick Howard is in the book It. Right. Um, he saves Mike Hanlon, who uh, is is the black fella from uh, from the the movie or from the book, um, who winds up staying in Derry. But oh, he doesn't save him; he saves his father. Um, so Mike Howard wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for Dick uh, Dick Howard. Um, I love that King did that in his book. Of course, he always shares characters and, and towns and stuff. And I, I always think that's very cool. But um, Dick Howard's just a fantastic character, right? Just, 
Wow. And that's why I get so that's probably the thing that makes me angriest about The Shining is how misused he was. And, and they kill him he off. He is used really well here. Yeah, they kill him off. He didn't die in the novel. But even beyond that, <laughs> this guy's got the shining. Like next to Danny, he's one of the biggest shiners. He we spend like, you know, a, a quarter of the movie with him getting there, and the second he walks in, friggin' Torrance kills him. Or really, uh uh Kubrick kills him. And uh, it, it makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. And, um, uh, and I think they've really redeemed that in um, in uh, uh, Dr. Sleep. I think so, too. And another thing I want to mention is this, that because this is another thing I wanted to bring up was the fact that, you know, we talked about how, you know, Mike Flanagan um, directed it, but he also wrote the screenplay for this movie. Yeah as well yep. so he was re- really good at what he was doing um but another th- uh, whenever danny's inside the area remember whenever he's basically people are calling him dr sleep because of the fact that when someone's about to die he goes in their room yeah so basically the, there's a cat there named Azzy. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it was. And he follows him to the empty room, but he puts down the magazine and most, they used up most of the elements from the shining from the 1980 were uh, recreated with duplicate sets and look like actors. So three shots were uh, reused the aerial shot of the water, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, I, I really wish Scatman Crothers was still alive. I love Scatman Crothers, um, not just as, as Dick Howard, just in general. He's an amazing guy to watch. Um, and I, I wish they had, and this guy was pretty good, right? He really was, but I wish they had used him or, well, of course, I couldn't use him because he was dead, but it would be very cool if they did something like in Star Wars where they basically recreated Peter Cushing and they did an amazing job at it. That would have been great, man. Uh, I The Scatman was perfect as Dick Howard, and, and uh, I've seen Melvin Peebles uh, uh, do him now in the, the TV series, the miniseries, and uh, this guy, I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but um, Scatman was Dick Howard, and I really wish they had somehow brought him back. Just incredible guy. Fantastic role. Uh, but no, go. but, you know, the True Knots and stuff like that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they were horrifying. They also needed a way of surviving. Rose doesn't care about if they survive or not, of course, because of the fact that what we see with um, the way they handle the grandfather, and of course he winds up dying, and then for now they need someone that's stronger, so that's why they're going after Aberrant to begin with. <laughs> well, right, you know, but you know, I think I feel like even whenever Danny's over <laughs> into the uh, in the nursing home area and stuff like that, when he sees Azzy, right, right. You know, there's actually that death. There's a lot of death in this movie yeah, when you're reflecting off the knots and also right. reflecting off of Danny and everything. That's what I was trying to go with whenever mm-hmm. um, with that. But 
there's actually a little bit of a tip of the hat to the Dark Tower. Oh, where's that? There's remember whenever they they talked he talked Danny talked about a nurse, mm-hmm. and the nurse's name was actually uh, was the same name that they used um, in the Dark Tower, the one that had this. Uh, oh, was I totally missed that? That's very cool. Great, great book. Shitty movie, unfortunately. You can't do that. That thing in one movie that i mean that was the problem but um that's interesting i i completely miss that i i love when films do that right when they make nods to other places and especially stephen king's universe is just so rich right i mean it's definitely like a shared Castle universe rock and yeah and you know they're uh they're getting ready to do a prequel um to to it uh, right called dairy um in on Welcome Netflix, to Derry, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. HBO and Max is actually doing that. Does that. Oh, where is it? HBO Max is actually putting that one together. Ah, looks like I'll be using my kids' account. Yep. And I'm excited for it. I'm actually excited for uh for Welcome to Derry. I'm ex- I'm excited for that. I'm a huge Stephen King's it fan fanatic and everything too. So it is Welcome to Derry? Yep. That's great. It's going to be great. And then also, too, they're also remaking um, – one of my friends is a diehard Stephen King fan, though, too. Michael, he's excited about the Sam's Lot remake. I saw they were doing that as a film. Yeah, I saw the uh, the poster for that. And that's interesting because, you know, there hasn't been a good uh, filmed version of Sam's Lot. Right? Back in the day, Stephen King movies just they, – they did shitty. Like, every single one was just – um, up until, oh, was it Frank Darabont who finally got it with, um, with some of the films he did, he finally started fixing Stephen King's films. And then once they went to miniseries on TV, King's so prolific. I mean, you can't do something in an hour and a half, two hour no. movie. You have to do a, a, you know, two, three hour movie to, to, um, make it a uh, decent and um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, the, the Salem Slot movie was terrible, just terrible. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm uh, like your friend, I'm very excited to see how it does. That was, so the first book I read by Stephen King, I had an English teacher who introduced me to him. And he would read his short stories each week. And uh, so uh, Night Shift was the first book I read by him, but the first full novel was Salem's Lot. And just oh, I nice. remember on the back cover, they talked, you know, they gave whatever the little blurb was, and then it ended with, and then the sucking sounds began. And I just, oh, so <laughs> chilly. And wow, good stuff, man. Good, good stuff. God, I wish I could write like that guy. See, well, I, I will have... say my play did better than his. I just want to throw that out there. Most definitely. But, you know, the very first book I read was, of course, It, but also, too, I think I would have to say before It, I read Christine was actually the first one. Um, yeah, because I actually grew up... movie. Yeah, definitely. But when you look at this, though, as a whole with this movie, let's talk about this. I was thinking that we were going to see Jack Nicholson as Lloyd for some reason, because I'm, I would have loved to see that, because I'm thinking to myself, okay... 
I, I see what they're doing with this. They're using the alcoholism that Jack, because of Jack and also too because of the demons that Danny has. And Danny goes over to the bar and he sits down. I'm like, he's not going to see that old man at the bar. He's going to see his dad. That's right. what I was thinking the whole time. And I'm thinking to myself, did they do a surprise cameo with Jack Nicholson, even though Jack Nicholson's right. retired from acting yeah, and stuff like that since The Departed? I'm thinking to myself, did they do that? And they didn't. But the actor was okay. It wasn't as good as what I wanted it to be with Jack. Because yeah. I would have loved to see that father and son moment. They could have actually de-aged him or defake yeah. him into that. And... Be, and let him talk to him. But I like how Danny winds up saying, talking about his battle with alcohol and how he confronted it, where Danny's actually the stronger person than what Jack is. He puts the, I like how he puts the shot glass down after he confronts him and telling him, I'm the one who had to take care of my mom. I'm the one who had a, I kept on seeing dead flies on her while she was alive. And then a couple of days later, she's gone because the dead flies represent death. And I like how he does that. And then, you know, we were talking about the nostalgia. We were talking about how we wind up seeing Mike Flanagan. He winds up using the nostalgia factor where you see the two girls. Then you also see the other things that winds up happening. We wind up seeing the door. But it's not just that, it's just not there for sake of putting him in that abandoned building. It's there to actually confront his demons, to take down Rose the Hat, and to be able to put an end to the overlook and put a, a stamp on it. And right. I love I love that so much. And when I saw the door, I geeked out because of the fact that it is Stanley Kubrick's, but it also resembles Jack Nicholson going and having that iconic line. But it wasn't just there of saying of oh, there's a there's a door that's caught up in half, and that's it. He goes into the flashback of Danny being haunted by what happened in that overlook. Now, if they just went on ahead and just showed the door being broken, and then they panned away from it. There's no meat there to actually. There's no meat there for Danny to have that flashback. It's just there for the sake of being nostalgia and not there for moving the plot along. Yeah, so I agree with you. I um, the guy he he does good, but you know how, how do you do Jack Nicholson? Right, you either <laughs> don't pull it off or you sound like you're doing an impression. Right, neither would right. be good for this film. And he didn't do neither. I one. would have preferred when when it first starts. You see his arms as, and you know it's Lloyd. And then eventually, uh, uh, Dan says, you know, basically alludes to, "You're my dad, right? This is the same liquor that used to drink." I wish they just wouldn't have even shown him, right? Mm. Just shown his arms and just, you know, done shots like that, maybe silhouettes and, right? And no, and you could still have the same actor do the the voice and stuff. That was okay. Um, well, I have but, a better idea. Though, now you said that he could just use his his arms or his hands, and all you can have is just a monologue between Danny and and the guy not even saying anything because he's a ghost anyways. So you don't really need to have any monologue since the guy is dead. Mm -hmm. So all you have to do is say, "I know who you are. You're my dad," mm -hmm. and then he can go into the whole entire dialogue, like I mentioned, with uh, taking care of his mom and all that stuff, and then all then. You can see him just put the shot glass down and walk away. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. You you think that's better than my idea? 
You think you're better than me? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you probably are. No, probably no, no, no. are. You have oh. books that you wrote. Well, I just well, I just talk shit on the air. <laughs> I can't get 74 fucking people on my show, so I don't know who's doing better. Um, I um, I like how I even, you know, every character he builds up and gives a little arc to, right? Either a big arc or a little arc. And even uh, the Jack Torrance character, who's barely in this movie, I like how he starts off. He says a couple times, you've mistaken me for somebody else. That's not, as as Dan's kind of alluding to him being his father, That that's not who I am, basically. But then all of a sudden, when he switches over to calling him a pup, talking about his medicine, and is obviously now saying, oh, yeah, you got me. Well, here's the problem, you little prick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that little mini arc they do. I, I think it's great going from, uh, no, that's not who I am, to... That's absolutely who I am. And also, too, man, uh, there's also that other thing, too, where you have Rose that comes up to Danny and everything, because that's actually the point where he starts off the boiler and you also see everything decayed. Everything is just dark. I love how they do that. And then Rose comes up to him and that typewriter is still there from the very first Shining. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, that's just creepy. But right. and then Rose comes and goes, oh, I I wonder why I never man, ran into you. Right, right. She's like, where have you been keeping yourself, right? Because I think ultimately um, uh, Danny is more powerful than Abra, more powerful than Rose. I think he's the most powerful shiner there is, uh, right? He's he, he holds it back, but... Look at the things he he does, right? I mean, that scene where he takes over Abra and kills Crow Daddy by, you know, basically forcing him to to run into a tree. I mean, uh, Danny's an amazing guy, and Dick Howard knew it. Right, he, knew he almost exactly. gave the guy an aneurysm across the country when he called him as a child. But you didn't know at the level of the shine that he had. Yeah, it was shocking to see mm-hmm. him being able to contact Dick through the shine. But knowing that he can actually go through Abra to get to the crow and to make the crow crash into the into the tree, he goes, well, I have one more magic trick. He goes, oh, really? And what's that? Right. And <laughs> you just know, oh, he's going right. to fuck you up, man. Right. <laughs> he is going to fuck you up. Mm-hmm. No, it's great. It's great. But, dude, this movie is so good. I remember doing just the audio-only podcast. It was supposed to be a non-spoiler review, and it turned into, like, a spoiler review because I was just going to the comparison of the book and comparing it over into the movie. I'm like, well, that's so much for doing a non-spoiler review. But, you know, I was just so enticed into it. And also, too, I wish they would have actually showed a little bit of the corruption that went on within the walls of the Stanley of the Overlook Hotel in the very first movie because there was a lot of corruption there with the billing. Also, too, you have the mob in there, stuff like that. But this is not the Shining review. But I wish it was like little small nuggets that they could have done with that. But then you see Danny in this movie. He does the boiler just like his dad does. He's possessed with the axe in his <laughs> hand, just like uh, Jack is. Yeah, I loved it. 
I was just eating it all up. I'm like, and there's only me and maybe two other people in the theater at the time. I'm like, why is this movie being played? Why is Midway, uh, why is this being released at the same day as Midway? This movie should have been released a couple of days after. Yeah. So it can, even though The Shining didn't make that much money, this movie deserved to make the money that it did and had the publicity. But it do, didn't even make it, and I wish it did. Yeah, it, it it's really a shame. And, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, folks out there, if you haven't seen the movie, then you you really should. And if after what we've both said about it, you still don't, you're kind of a jerk face. But <laughs> when I <laughs> when I I just think, man, they captured it perfect. And like I said, it's not just a novel. They really turned it into a sequel to the original movie. And in a way that I liked, right? I think they did it for me. Maybe they did it for me. Um, it was, uh, gosh, it's really good. And all the actors are good. Ewan McGregor um, is amazing. I, I'm a big fan of his anyway. This uh, little girl who plays Abra, she's fantastic. Oh, she really is. And Rose the Hat, is, she is channeling that character from the book. I mean, she's perfect. Everybody is great in this movie, right? There's not a bad actor in in a lot of them, and uh, it's oh. uh, it's definitely uh, uh, you got to watch it if you haven't seen it. You got to watch this movie. It's so good. It definitely ranks up there as one of my favorite Stephen King adapt- adaptations of a movie uh, from book adaptation to a movie adaptation. Is it so? Yeah, it's it's number one in my book. Don't get me wrong; I love the it chapter one. And it chapter two remakes. I thought they were good, were but good. I put this one. I put this one above that mm-hmm. because of the way that um, Mike Flanagan told the story that needed to be told. Yeah. You know, I like yeah. uh, Muschietti, but this is actually top notch in my opinion. Oh, it's fantastic! I think my fir- favorite. Uh, Stephen, did you just see me like try to put my hand on the table and slide <laughs> off? Jesus Christ, what's wrong with me? Um, I think uh, my favorite Stephen King movie is uh, The Dead Zone, right? Now, first of all, I'm uh, uh, David Cronenberg, my favorite director, uh, maybe next to John Waters, right? Just fantastic. And uh, Christopher Walken, not playing Christopher Walken for once. And uh, gosh, just fantastic. So I actually think that one might be my favorite. and, And I think it might be one of... Uh, the most Stephen King films, but um, it was really good. The first one was a little bit better than the first, uh, than the second. And yeah, and this one ranks right up there. I mean, it is really as a Stephen King film goes, really good, very, Definitely. very good. They, uh, um, they hit on a lot of themes and created some themes. That's what's cool is they didn't just rely on what they got from the novel. They really created some themes as well. Um, this I, guy, I hope we see some more stuff from him because he was good. Most definitely. And I do want to go into a little bit of trivia. Uh, as he actually means uh, the angel of death. That's also another thing. I did thing. not know that. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that either until I started doing some research and stuff like that. So I thought that was actually pretty interesting. Uh, then, let's see, Cougar McGregor, who played Danny, mm-hmm. uh, when interviewed, he, he, get this, he had no he had no interest in any type of horror movies or anything like that. He didn't start reading or uh, watching The Shining until 
he got the part, and he was just found it fascinating. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty good. Um, I love him. I I haven't had a chance to watch the new Obi Wan uh, series, but is it really good? I I I've got it to to watch, but I haven't done it yet. Um, he's fantastic, and he has been since he started. Right? I mean, Train Spotting, brilliant in that, and uh, uh, he really just took a, off with every role he does, and this one is no exception. He's he's fantastic in it. Um, and he pulls off the uh, the um, the English accent or the American accent, which uh, doesn't always happen. Love me some Matt Smith. If you saw him, Morbius, his or Manson or any other movie he's been in, he's great in them. But uh, his American accent sucks. <laughs> so it's it's amazing how how really good he is in this. Um, just fantastic. Well, you know what else is fantastic? I, here's the thing. I've been wondering about this, too. So I know that you've been doing a lot of writing and stuff like that. So tell me a little bit about the play that you're writing. And also, too, tell me a little bit about the novel that you're writing. And how sure. are you finding time to balance those two things? I thought I had ADD with me trying to read two books at once. I can't imagine writing two different separate things. Well, so the first thing is... I've retired. I retired from my job. It was a lot harder when I was working because um, obviously that took up uh, time as far as they know. And um, I uh, I was always busy, so I would get maybe a chapter every couple weeks and stuff done. But since I retired here in Panama, lovely Boquete, Panama, um, I've got a lot of time and and i i actually wind up spending most of my time watching tv but i make sure at least two to three hours a day i'm i'm writing you know i've got that scheduled and so the play um that i've done is called murder on gilligan's island um and it's uh kind of a spoof of 70s sitcoms it's not just characters from from uh gilligan's island uh, for instance, the Howells don't show up because I always hated them. Uh, Lenny and Squiggy from from uh, uh, Laverne and Shirley wind up getting hired by the Howells to take their place. So, um, and there's multiple characters from 70 sitcom shows and also kind of bad dinner theater. So it's a uh, combination of those two. It's really funny, uh, if I do say so myself, and I do. And uh, that is actually premiering here in in uh, Panama in September. So that'll be cool. That'll make me an international playwright, which sounds so much better than I am. And um, my novel is uh, Penny Dreadful. And it's about a little girl, an 11-year-old girl. It's a children's novel, believe it or not. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, it's about a little girl who lives in a magic house who she breaks into these rooms and these rooms take her through various periods of time. And, um, and uh, yeah, it takes off from there. And that's uh, my, my readers so far who I've got kind of listening to it. I, I go to some writers groups and uh, the people are, they're loving it. And um, I've sent to my nieces, I actually wrote this because uh, I have two 13-year-old nieces, 
and I want them be, to be able to read something I wrote, and they certainly cannot <laughs> read my other stuff. So, um, and I, I think it's, uh, I think it's making its mark. I actually think it might be my best novel yet. So, I, I expect that to be out maybe uh, either late fall, early, uh, early winter. So, very excited about that. Congratulations to you, man. That's fantastic. I'm actually glad yeah. to hear. You're very welcome. Because I, here's the thing: I'm a big supporter of you. Of you, I think that you're. I've read a couple of your books and stuff like that when I first interviewed you. And you know, I you have mad talent. I'm going to be honest with you. I like the stuff that I that I've read. And you know, I'm excited about the play. I'm excited about this new thing that you're doing. I can't wait to read the children's novel, even though I'm not a kid. I'm a but I'm a kid at heart, so that counts. But I am excited about checking that out as well. So thanks, thanks very well, much. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out something that I haven't said anywhere else. It's kind of a surprise. So I'm I'm letting it go on your show because I love being on your show. I'm I'm on it quite a bit. That I feel like you should start paying me. But I'm gonna go ahead and um, say this. So coming October, uh, we're actually gonna release a video of uh, Texas Chainsaw Musical on um, on YouTube. So it'll be available for the entire month of October for uh, for everyone to watch. And uh, I'm excited to I'm see. Very that. excited about this. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. It's you know it's really a fun play. And the theater uh, where we film this and are releasing uh, just really got it. I mean, this guy uh, Patrick uh, Chiamaco, uh directed it. Um, it was they opened their theater with this show. They've shown it three times so far, and um, sold out shows every single time i mean he really got this show so uh it's going to be super exciting you guys you, you know your fans should uh um definitely catch it in october and i'm sure we'll we'll talk uh before then oh yeah we're definitely going to talk again but if anybody that should pay be, being paid it should be me with all the equipment that you've been breaking around here oh so. son of a bitch <laughs> oh my god right wow. okay you're probably right though Exactly. So, you know, but, you know, it is what it is. I had to replace a microphone. I had to replace some soundproofing stuff because of you. And then also, too, every single time when you come on the show, it's always storming. So, what's going on, man? I don't don't know what it is. (laughs) You're just, you're, you're sucking off my bad luck, is is what's going on. I really got to build up some good karma, man. I don't know what's going on. But, uh, yeah, so sue me because I ain't paying you dick. Well, guess what? All I have is Lint, but I will say this. It's always an honor to have you on the show, man. I, 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 I always enjoy just talking about movies, just chatting it up with you on here, and it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much, man. I, I love doing your show. I really do. I do your show probably more than any other podcast that I guest on, uh, just because it's uh, great topics, great movies, and uh, you know, your show will be even better once you do John Dies at the End. Just saying. I don't want to die, okay? I, <laughs> well, I guess it's not you <laughs> to die. Right. I had it one of my friends one, one of time. my favorite new movies, and I am going to hit on you until you eventually review this movie. I probably am, though. I'm probably going to wind up reviewing it pretty soon, and I'll let you know when. But, oh, I will absolutely be part of that. It's an amazing film. Let me tell you something funny, though, before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. I rem- I had this friend of mine. She was watching John Dies at the end. I was like, well, thanks. Mm. 
has that spoiler alert. <laughs> she goes, not you, not you. I'm like, okay, that's true. I was born in the '80s, so there's plenty of other Johns that probably died. So I'm, I'm right. so good. <laughs> but did, uh, did you love it? Did you like it? I don't remember to be honest with you. Oh, she loved it. it. I'll tell you now. She loved it. She was telling me how much she liked it. Uh, that's what it was. She was using her shine to tell you how much she loved it. <laughs> she was it. shining to me. Shine on, baby. Shine on, Abra. Shine so, on. With that being said, Chris, where can everybody follow you at and stuff like that if they want to go in and check out your books? I also have the links in the description for people to follow you as well. Yeah, so um, I'm on Facebook, right, as uh, Christopher Minori. I, um, I, I'm I an attention hound, so I absolutely will, uh, if, you, if you friend me, I will bring you on. Um, I'm also on uh, Instagram and Twitter as CT Minori. And then, you know, on YouTube, uh, also my channel is CT Minori, and that's where I do my show, I Fucking Suck at Video Games, um, which purports to show how much I fucking suck at video games. So, um, yeah, anybody, and I really need people to subscribe to my show. So, you know, there's like a thousand of you out there on John's show. A couple of you can't just join (laughs) my show, you bastards. Come on, help me out. But we are a movie podcast, Chris. I'm sorry. But we do have some gamers. But we do have gamers, probably. Go over there. Subscribe over to his channel. His channel's a lot of fun. I even recommend it. I I laugh my ass off on some of the stuff that you do on your channel. But you're very welcome. So with that being said, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, I'm going to have Alex on the show. I'm going to have Abby from Motor City Nerds on my show. I'm going to have Will from Conversations About Dot 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 podcast on my show we're going to be doing a marvel phase six news report of everything that happened at comic-con and everything that we're getting in for movie news that's that's been flowing in throughout the week so we're going to be talking about that doing a little bit of speculation once again that's eight o'clock social time nine o'clock eastern time for that then following up on thursday we're wrapping up our godfather three review and even though that movie sucks just as bad as The Shining, but we're doing it anyways at 9 o'clock Central Time, 10 o'clock Eastern, and, of course, 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time for that suck-ass movie. I mean, for that movie. Um, so <laughs> That is super exciting. Did uh, but, When you went to Comic-Con, did you check out any well, of the Doctor Who stuff? I wasn't there. <laughs> it was stuff that was on YouTube that was brought in. So And plus, I was trying to recover. What that? Hey, I had COVID, dude. I had COVID for uh, last week. This is my first time actually feeling 100%. I had to ease my way into doing this, sh- uh, doing this show for tonight. Like, I did a... Uh, uh, I had a light cold. Uh, you don't hear me bitching, Horatio. Oh, just write your two books. <laughs> I call it a day. <laughs> but like I said, you're the talent. All I do is run my mouth. That's all I do. But... You know, good. but you know what though, guys? I also have a couple of other stuff on the channel that we've done. We did three trailer reactions. We did a John Wick trailer, John Wick Chapter Four trailer reaction. We did a She-Hulk trailer reaction. We've done um, a D and D trailer reaction that we did, and then of course I did my Black Phone non-spoiler review, and then I also wrapped it up with Old, which is also the M Night Well, the Sham Hammers. Uh, movie of old which is m night sham and i i caught that that was an awesome awesome video i love the uh <laughs> she hulk one too i'm so super Thank excited you. to see that so yeah good job as always john 
Thank you, man. As always, a pleasure. Well, thank and- you for being on my show. Your show? You broke everything I had. This oh, is much. that's right. I knew, it was, I knew it was definitely one of ours. Right, exactly. But Mikasa is Sukasa, and it's, I'm happy to have you as always, man. Gross and with that being man. said, don't forget to smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, also to comment below. Tell us what you think of Dr. Sleep. If you haven't seen Dr. Sleep and you happen to hear our review, tell us in the comment section on what you liked. Also, too, don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts and Good Pods and Spotify. That actually helps our audience find new audiences to be able to enjoy our shows. Always until next time, guys. It's been real. It's been fun. I can't wait to do this again. 